real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is January 7th, 2020. Today is a very important date. And as I've said before, it was the date that um, we had first elected the president of the United States. Uh, That is how it all came to. George Washington, the first president of the United States, first presidential elections were held on 171789. They began on January 7th, 2020. In addition, on this day in 1999, the impeachment had been opened up, um, was actually having proceeding against um, Bill Clinton, uh, the impeached president that wanted to go back to the White House. Today, it seems as if there is a lull in uh, the news cycle. We're seeing the mainstream media pretty much uh, recycling and reinforcing the notion that they are completely anti-American. They are praising a terrorist that was taken out and terrorist in the sense that this guy was a lot more powerful than you would think. It wasn't like al-Baghdadi, who was the coordinator of recruiting and teaching and, uh, you know, pretty much just creating new jihadis. Okay. He wasn't that. He was much, much more than that. Haji Qasem was one of the biggest blows. I want you to envision a global order. A global order where regions are sectioned off. The Middle Eastern region was reigned by him. Now, regardless if the nations that fell under his region uh, allowed him to operate, approved of his operations or not, he still was the person that made things happen. Now, I've said it before, President Trump is a genius. Why? Because he realizes that the only way you can disable your enemy is by disabling the way that they can funnel money. I mean, let's pretend someone wants to destroy you. They will bury you in litigation that will cost you your underwear. You won't have two pennies to rub together forever in pointless litigation. Because with no money, you cannot eat. With no money, you have no roof over your head. With no money, you cannot fight. So the first enemy, the actual only threat, if you were to ignore the fact that we have this global syndicate, uh, shadow syndicate going, was China. And so the blind spot the way that they were funneling and using money and promoting whatever they needed to do, whatever they hid, whatever they wanted to obfuscate was being done through North Korea. That was defused first to remove that hidden sidekick Trump card that they might've had. Right. And here we are trying to disable a global shadow syndicate. And you go for their money and you go for the blind spot. Over a long period of time, I've been saying Iran is nothing but a blind spot. 
a blind spot to the laws, a blind spot to the people, because as long as they're terrorists, I'm sorry, we can't see what they're doing because they're terrorists and we don't work with terrorists. Yet everything is indicating that all they did was work with terrorists, the supposed terrorists. 52 shell companies duped the Pentagon right. Duped. That's a new word for we have a lot of corrupt people and ICE had found that out in the mid in the early mid 2000s found out just how nefarious 5000 and then some names at the Department of Defense Pentagon Congress Senate all on a list of nefarious satanic evil disgusting things all on a list a very long list and as they began investigations things changed Priorities changed and that was buried completely. And that was just one aspect of this investigation. So people in ICE and other intelligence agencies, because remember, 17 of them didn't approve of this report, which is rubbish. It was only three, right? And they assume that the FBI's intelligence, they're not. The other agencies, the other agents, the other contractors, the other people that saw this just took mental note and said, you know, one day there will be someone in office that will take care of this as long as we band behind him and that he knows that we're behind him. The attacks that these clowns can orchestrate against one person, you cannot fathom. The coordination to ensure that when the blow comes, that it is hard. But, you know, God doesn't allow that to happen all the time. He doesn't let them win. Well, never. Because depending on the target, depending on the strength of it, you know, you'll bear a cross when you're fighting, but you'll bear one that you can carry. Always. Uh, You know, a lot of us have to remind ourselves of that. That whatever cross we're carrying, it's because we can bear it. You will never be given an unbearable cross to carry, ever. Uh, It actually, you know, seasons you and kind of like a good cast iron pan, you know, and it becomes better for you. Um, As a person and as a spirit, you learn. And it's important to say this because the one thing that I feel is almost as if they're allergic to that you see was trashed and talked about throughout social media but by really insane liberals is the fact that we have a praying president. And I think it's important we listen to the prayer that was said that triggered so many around the world when he was in group prayer calling it a cult. Ah, Christianity is now a cult. Take a listen. Privilege for me, probably one of the greatest honors, that 18, almost 19 years ago, I received a phone call out of the blue. At that time, it was then businessman Mr. Trump, who called me after watching Christian television. I was privileged to not only gather people around him and pray since 2011 on this course of destiny that he has now embarked on, but also to put many people of faith around him and to see him become the 45th president of the United States. What's happening is unprecedented. 
God is at work, that is for sure. And as we see his policy, which is unprecedented, the personnel, you'll see people of faith both on the outside and on the inside, by him. And often he himself has said this. He said, I have never pretended to be something that I'm not, but let me tell you who he is. He's a great father. He's a fearless leader. He's a man of courage. He's a loving husband to First Lady. He is loyal to the T. He fights for the underdog. He is a patriot. If you cut him, he's going to bleed red, white, and blue. He's a man who does what he says. Promises made, promises kept. He is competitive. He's a very giving person. He is compassionate, unless you start the fight with him and he'll finish it. (laughs) He is a winner. He's a man that loves God, faith, family, people, and most of all, he stands strong for America. He is a champion for faith. Welcome the 45th President of the United States, President Donald J. Trump. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand. And let's remember, he's never pretended to be some every Sunday churchgoer, but he does understand one thing, and I think all of us are starting to realize it, that good will over overshadow, will over overcome darkness always. They can't overshadow good and light. And before we start out, we'd like to pray over him. And we know we are people of prayer. So will you stretch your hands and pass and President Trump? These are some of your greatest faith leaders that would love to pray over you. Pastor Jensen's going to start. Apostle Maldonado. And uh, we love you. Will everybody just stretch your hands towards the president before he gets up? Because we know that prayer makes a difference. Before the prayer starts, I just wanted to say their faces said it all um, when greeting the president before the prayer began. And I think it's important for all of us to see that. Um, Fox uh, streamed this on YouTube um, on January 3rd. Now I want you to listen to the words of the prayer so that way you can understand what happens because this is his speech right after Haji Qasem was confirmed killed. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you for this nation that was born in 1776. We pray in 2020 it would be born again. We pray for your spirit to move across our nation and we humble ourselves and we pray. We repent of personal sins, national sins, and we humbly ask you to bless our nation and to bless our president, Donald Trump. Lord, I thank you that America didn't need a preacher in the Oval Office. It did not need a professional politician in the Oval Office but it needed a fighter and a champion for freedom 
And Lord, that's exactly what we have. I thank you, Lord, that he doesn't claim to be perfect, but he is passionate. He's passionate for the, to stop the merciless killing of the unborn. He's passionate to raise people from poverty and six million have been moved from food stamps to the dignity of work. He is passionate, oh God, to see our Supreme Court filled with men and women who will stand for justice for all. And Lord, we thank you for all that you have begun. And now that you've begun it in our nation, in the middle, we pray that you would bless. Beginnings are wonderful. Endings are wonderful, but in the middle, we need your help. In the middle of the race, the runner needs his second win. In the middle, oh God, of a battle, the reinforcements need to come in. So send your power and your presence to touch this president. Show him who you are. Show him your love. Show him the love of the people. And Lord, do something so great in him and in this nation. That the pundits on TV and the news anchors will be amazed at how great America is because God is great in America again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It almost seemed I want you like to President stretch your hands Trump, toward him, please. It almost seemed like he was ready to cry. Uh, so this guy that comes in says some really interesting things, but the first person who was praying, you know, sometimes when you pray, you say things that you wouldn't normally say. He says, allow our country to be born again in 2020 because we need that second win. This was all preparation. The first term was preparing the soil so that we can sow the seeds of good. This is where we take responsibility for whatever we've done as a nation for whatever we've done in ignorance to move forward. Yes, this is where we're at. Take a listen to this. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you, Lord. We present our president. We come together from all denominations, all races together, as the Bible says, to pray for those in authority. Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I pray for my president and our president. I pray for you to give him boldness. I pray, Father, for him to defy and challenge giants in the world and defy and challenge the enemies in this nation. Father, I pray for him and I raise them up in prayer. We come together in Jesus' mighty name. We believe we speak in his body. We pray healing. We pray restoration. We pray strength in his mind and his spirit all over his being. Be strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray right now for the Holy Spirit to invade this place. For the Holy Spirit, for the presence to experience the presence of the living God. We pray for that resurrected power of Jesus Christ. For him to say Jesus is alive. Father I pray all of all this together. We come together and we pray we stand with him. And what he's doing. And Father we give you the praise. We give you the honor. And Father we give you the praise and honor. And we ask you Father that he can be the Cyrus. To bring reformation. To bring change into this nation. 
nation and all the nations of the earth we will say America is the greatest nation of the earth father I thank you use him this time release his power I release the Holy Spirit upon his life for the Holy Spirit to strengthen him his spirit soul and body and father I release wisdom from heaven and I declare God that you use him to change the spiritual atmosphere of this nation father I give you the praise and I give you the honor in Jesus mighty name amen and amen okay so the giants he is taking on giants he is taking on a very evil nefarious well-oiled machine it's a global machine and the only country you would say and the only nation and the only empire that is untouched in the sense of they recognize they acknowledge and they accept is china so this is why china was the biggest threat because china knew exactly what's going on but believed because they have the population they have the technology and they have the eons of continuous continuous order and that they are not obfuscating their intentions of control as a nation that they are indeed an enemy because an enemy is as strong as their people and their people are compliant, complacent, right? They're complacent with communism, complacent with being subjects and they are okay with it because it is, it is a cultural thing. So this is why China was the first area he needed to focus on. He needed to focus on their money, their transactions, their economy, their connections. And like I said, the most vulnerable of all nations, no matter how much they painted as an enemy, is Russia. Out of all of them. It's not Malta, not Congo, not Nigeria, not Ghana, not some country that you believe is completely third world, you know, that can't function. It's Russia. Because Russia doesn't align with any of them, doesn't really align with China, but they have relations for survival reasons. So I want to make that distinction because it's important that, 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 that you see it from, you know, standing back that there's three camps, three camps. The camp of the vulnerable, which are those that believe in God, that believe in freedom, believe in the right to life, believe in all that's good, and believe that human beings are innately good. You know, we do not come out of our parents' womb and think, I'm going to be evil today. I'm going to do this. I'm going to treat another human being as a commodity. And then there's the other camp that says, well, I I'm not super good. I believe that I should control people, but they should have dignity. And I will recognize that because I want every single person to be perfect because if they're good, then I'm good. That's China. China will not. China does indeed treat their citizens like commodities, but at the same time, they respect life. Okay. In, in a sense, not fully, depending if you're a commodity or not, because if you count or if you're for the greater good, right? So they're nefarious too. They're not good, but they have order. They are trying to keep the yin yang, right? A balance of evil and good, um, which in itself is evil, but you know, I digress. Then we get to the more nefarious.
The ones that have complete disrespect for people, their right to freedom, their right to enjoy their free will because they believe that everyone is for them, uh, that you are there to serve them. They do not have to serve you. You serve them. So for the first time now, we have a leader that comes out and says, no, I will be serving the people. And I will allow the people to grow and prosper as they wish. And this is how it was intended to be in an organized, large community slash nation, right? And this is what we're going for. Now, right after this prayer, you need to listen uh, to how President Trump says the first minute of his first two minutes of his opening speech tells you a lot. Take a listen. Amen. And now as we stretch our hands, we secure your purpose. We secure your calling. Give him victory after victory, victory after victory. We declare that no weapon formed against him will be able to prosper. And every demonic altar that has been erected against him will be torn down. We declare that he will rise high and he is seated in heavenly places. Surround him with people of prayer and let him walk out the will of God. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. So good. Uh, thank you very much. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Most powerful people in the world. My book. But thank you, Paula, the beautiful prayer. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for this incredible crowd. There are thousands of people outside trying to get in. And if you're truly religious, you should give up your seat right now. Let them. (laughs) But I'm thrilled to be here in Miami, Florida, to officially launch one of the most important grassroots movements in American history. It's a first. Evangelicals for Trump. And... And you know how we did a few years ago, hard to believe, already we're talking about almost three years, but you know how we did. The numbers were phenomenal and the love is greater today, I think, than it has ever been. I'd like to begin my remarks today by extending our profound thanks and gratitude to the extraordinary men and women of the United States military. Right? They're by far the best and greatest anywhere in the world. There's nobody close. In recent weeks, American warriors executed a daring raid that killed the savage leader of ISIS, al-Baghdadi. He was a depraved butcher who will never again hurt another innocent person. That is it. So prayer is important to him. And not so much because he um, feels that he is some religious, you know, um, churchgoer, right? But because he understands. And I think a lot of people are starting to understand the importance of having faith, regardless of where that sits or where it goes. Faith is the most important uh, thing that we can all have. Now, today, um, after hearing that, we're going to put into context just what's going on with this whole Iran situation and the war that 
is unseen that we are fighting. Uh, we've been talking about uh, since November 2018 uh, when I began having my own show rather than just guesting where this is all being centered. <laughs> Funny enough, it's right where you would say Troy was, the great panel of Troy, but where it's centered, how it's being driven, and where it seems to be going. And this will include, you know, us discussing, once again, the positions that other world leaders have in respects to this um, person being taken out, which, uh, you know, God have mercy on his soul, because I, I can't help but feel bad for these people that treat humans the way they do and believe that it will happen. Iran was the blind spot. Iran was how they made everything happen right under our noses. And it is being exposed. You thought the Ukraine was bad. It hasn't even started. 2020 is really, really the year of completing the prerequisites for what's to come. I'll see you all in just a bit. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. And, you know, the first half hour, I needed you guys to listen to that prayer because a lot of people are losing faith. They're seeing all of this evidence surface. You know, we saw Daniel Jones come out yesterday where people started bringing his name. I mean, we already talked about that months ago, didn't we? So you guys are way ahead of the news cycle on that. Now, Everyone's seeing all this evidence. They can see that these people are so corrupt. Their hands dripping in blood, money, children's blood, adult blood, soldier blood, anything. They, they, they can see it. And they're saying, why are they still walking around? Just for now. There will be a time where they will walk down the street and not be able to cover their face. They won't be able to walk down the street. They won't. And, you know, I have to say, you know, we always look at what our president tells us. That is the most important source for any information you want to know. Any information. So what did he tell you today? Well, he told you that he supports Australia, even though Australia, the crown in general, worked with all of these clowns orchestrating this coup. They worked with the Obama administration to take out any glimmer, you know, of hope that your children and their children to come and for generations to go can be free. They helped them and continue to. Yet, we have helped them. It's really weird how they're having fires, right? It's always things on fire. And I did mention Perth is important. Perth, Australia is very important. You would say, well, what about Sydney? Perth, Australia is a very, very important spot in Australia. And not a lot of Australians even know that. But if you pay attention to see 
what companies are there, it would make sense. Because you would think that nations around the world, this global, horrible cabal, would have the best people, the smartest people working for them. They would be building security systems, AI software. No, no, no. No, they don't. They hand all of that off to average civilians, to contractors. All they want is the product. So what you need to look at is all these private companies that are working in concert with them. Because I've been saying this for a while. Your social media companies, Google, and I'm a big Google user, right? I've got a Google phone. I use them for my cell service, everything, right? Be like, well, you're using it. Well, what am I supposed to do? Not, I have faith that measures will be implemented. I have faith that we can stop what has happened. I have faith that these monopolies will crumble. I have faith. That's the only thing you can do is have faith. The minute you lose faith, what's the point, right? What's the point if you don't have faith? You know, for me, in the past 30 days, uh, my, uh, personally, uh, everything has flipped on its head. And it's at a point where you're just like, there's no way, like I'm barely keeping my nose above water, you know, to breathe. And suddenly, things just come out of nowhere. Um, it just happens. And that's because the nose being above water was because I had faith. And as it was going away in that dim light where you struggle yourself so many times in life, right? To have faith, you know, you're just like, that's it. I'm going under. The minute the nose goes underwater, you're done, right? That's, that's when you drown, when you can't keep it up there anymore. And that's the point that your cross is relieved from your shoulders enough so that you can come up for air. And that air is that faith that you had. So as you have that faith, you get pulled out of the darkness. And this is exactly what our president needs. They need you to have faith. I see comments going, why are they not arrested? Why? Wait, you can't do it like this. Yes, we've got so many things going on. We've got that they've been rigging our votes for decades. We've got that they created Iran. I walked you through that whole thing in, in, in a whole episode of what Iran really was. How for 50, over 50 years, we created that center. We gave them the world's uranium to enrich. We paid for their centrifuges. We did everything. It all goes from the Iran-Contra. And remember, who was leading that pack? Who was doing all of that? The three-term president, Bush Sr., oh, no, but Reagan was. No, Reagan was a front. Reagan was silenced real quick. And Reagan was just compliant for survival. You can't blame him. But he did speak out. He spoke truth because he could. But in honesty, it was Bush that ran a show. Bush, whose father funded Nazis. Bush, whose family wealth was taken away by the president back then because they were funding death and destruction in Europe. It's been decades long, and we have to undo it in, what, a day? What's good for you, a year? We need time. And this first term was that time to create the foundation to build his house again, his house of faith. No matter who your God is, you have to have faith. God is like a parent, right? He is your parent. Do you think any parent would punish their kid? I mean, unless they're evil, right? 
unless they're evil and God knows just how well I know this. But there are people that can have children and just do complete evil to them. And you just can't fathom and it makes you sick thinking about it. But on a normal thing, if you're creating something so wonderful, you would never, ever cause harm to your child, right? So why would you think that your God would punish you? Do you punish your kid because, uh, you know, obviously you do, you put them in the corner, uh, you know, you might smack them on the butt, you might make them face the wall, but you don't want them hurt. You don't want them maimed. You're not going to take a bat to their head, right? You're going to talk to them. You're going to give them lessons. You're going to let them fall, but you're always going to be there to, you know, um, wipe that wound clean, that snot off their face when you know that they've been hurt. So what makes it different now? Hmm? What makes it different now? It doesn't. So again, President Trump is doing it again. He's showing you exactly what is unfolding, how this nation is going to be reborn in 2020. And think, he did all this in his first term with so many blockades, so much being thrown at him. And at the same time, he has to look after you and me. He doesn't only have to look after the bigger picture, but he cares about Joe sitting in his truck right now, eating a sandwich, listening to Tori says he cares. He cares about you on the road, uh, hoping that you don't miss that exit. He cares. And you're gonna be like, no, I'm pretty sure he does. He has his eyes on everything and the greater picture. And not only that, They're attacking him every which way. Every time he takes a step, he needs to make sure that that step is solid, that there is ground in front of him and that there's no one behind him ready to push. That's the reality. And yet he's still pushing forward. And that's because of faith and prayer. Now, one thing I have to say is that right after the elimination of Haji Qasem, The world has gone insane. You can hear them calling him a general, a politician, right? Iran and Iraq are uniting behind each other. And the discussions that you hear people have in relations to this completely blows your mind. You're just like, this isn't real. There's no way these are people that believe in the free world and are saying things like this. They care more about attacking this president than anything else. They don't care about the people being free. They don't care about the people in Iran because the Ayatollah is separate from the rest of Iran. I've said this again. Ayatollah aligns with the IRGC. Who set that up, you guys? It was Peter Strzok's dad. Who did that? Peter Strzok's dad. And guess who else did that? Remember, who else did that? Stanley Ann Dunham. Who is that? That's Barack Hussein Obama's mommy. Come on, you guys. It's right there. This is what we're dismantling. The implementation of their long-term plan. Unlike China, they want you to voluntarily submit. So you... So they chip at your soul to take you where they want to. China just says, listen, you either stand in line and you focus. These are the rules. You fall out. We just take you out. They rule with fear. Whereas the global cabal learned from other cycles of societies and civilizations, 
You cannot do it by force because in the end they will retaliate. So what do you do? You chip away at their soul. You confuse them. You tell them there is no gender. You tell them there is no this, that. Science is rubbish. We're telling you what science is. They convince you otherwise. They brainwash you. They chip away at your soul until there is basically nothing left. Kind of like what Craig Venter did when he wanted to create life to do what he wanted, which was chip away at the genetic code until it's just there simply to metabolize, simply to exist. That's the thing. That's what they wanted to do, and they haven't succeeded because people still had faith. They didn't account that over 2,000 years ago, a man would be crucified and give hope to people and teach them faith. They didn't, they didn't account for that. You know, they thought they had it. They didn't account for that. So this is where they failed. Then to what Al Jazeera, funded by the Qatari government, remember that tweet that I had said on air, oh, Pompeo said to Qatar, thank you for aligning Westerns, that he deleted. Mm. Listen to what the Qatari government had to say about what will happen if, you know, foreign troops, meaning U.S. troops, are expelled from Iraq. Take a listen to what they have to say on this. Listen to their words. Growing fallout over the killing of Iran's top military leader. Iraq's parliament votes to expel foreign troops. Now President Trump is threatening sanctions against Baghdad. So what will this mean for the U.S. presence in Iraq and what consequences for the wider region? This is Inside Story. Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Fuli Batibo. The Middle East is grappling with the United States assassination of Qasem Soleimani. In an extraordinary session on Sunday, Iraq's parliament voted to remove foreign troops from the country. Caretaker Prime Minister Adil Abdul Mahdi says the government is preparing legal and procedural steps to implement that resolution. It's provoked an angry response from U.S. President Donald Trump. He's threatening what he calls very big sanctions on Iraq if America American troops are forced to leave. NATO ambassadors, meanwhile, held an urgent meeting on Monday to discuss the escalating events. The alliance suspended its training mission in Iraq, fearing soldiers could be attacked in reprisal for Soleimani's killing. From Baghdad, Simona Fulton explains what happens next. Each one of the countries that has troops here in Iraq, including the U.S., but also other countries like the U.K. and France, they have their own agreements with the Iraqi government that uh, govern the presence of these troops. And those agreements stipulate exactly how, the, how these agreements have to be terminated. What happened was uh, that parliament passed a decision, not a law, uh, calling on the government to draft legislation to expel foreign troops. Now, what would have to happen next is that the government would actually have to draw up a bill. That bill would then have to be sent back to Parliament to be discussed and to be voted on. The thing that complicates this further is that the government is currently in a caretaker role after Prime Minister Adel Abdel Mahdi resigned in November amid ongoing anti-government protests. So we would also first have to have a new Prime Minister nominated. That Prime Minister would then have to Wait a minute. Are you saying that the prime minister resigned because the people were already protesting before this? So they bring in who they call a general, a high, you know, political, you know, dude, the guy that ran Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Iraq, Iran, Kuwait, the whole nine yards. Right. So this dictator 
that oversaw all these nations comes in after he resigns. But now, even though he's in a quasi official because he resigned, this happens on his watch, right? It's all coincidence, you guys. Are you listening? They're buying time. And the fact that the Democrats, the New York Times, and all these mainstream media are throwing support to them, calling what our president did wrong, questioning his motives, questioning the righteousness of doing something like this gives them more motivation to expand. And if anything, they're giving aid and comfort to our enemies. That is by definition treason. Yet they sit in office and all of you, just like I, are like, darn it, take them down. But we'll again have faith. Faith is key here. Listen to what else they tell you. To form a new government, and that government would have to draft this bill. Now, under the current agreement between the U.S. and Iraq that also governs the presence of uh, military troops here, uh, there would need to be at least a year notice to uh, cancel this agreement. So it doesn't seem likely that we will see the departure of foreign troops anytime soon. And that's all. Wait a minute, but I thought CNN and all of them were saying that the troops are being moved now and they're leaving. So bizarre. Also remember that uh, while there was a sufficient uh, majority in parliament to vote for this decision, the Sunnis and the Kurds uh, did not participate in the session and they are uh, calling for time to discuss such strategic decisions. Oh, wait, the Kurds weren't a part of this conversation. What did we say about Kurdistan? Okay. They don't believe that such decisions should be politicized and taken in haste. What was significant, however, was that Prime Minister Adel Abdel Mahdi himself attended the session and he spoke out in favor of the expulsion of foreign troops. And that is something that we haven't really seen since 2014, when the government invited U.S. troops to take part in the fight against ISIL. And so far we have uh, seen... ISIL. There we go again. ISIL. ISIL. ISIS. This wordplay is very important. Prime ministers take a more balanced position to uh, manage the relations with both U.S. and Iran. But what we've essentially seen here is the current caretaker government clearly taking a side and asking for U.S. troops to leave. So they're asking us to leave. They're saying just pick up and go because we don't want you. But here is where Iran and Iraq are uniting. So I'm only going to play the first five minutes of this. It's important to hear it. This is RT, obviously, funded in whole or in part by the Russian government. RT America in our nation's capital. This is the News with Rick Sanchez. And hello again, everybody. I'm Rick Sanchez. You know, tonight the world is in turmoil. And by the way, those are not my words. Those are the words of the Secretary General of the United Nations, who held a news conference this morning to echo what really most of us feel. He said, we are, quote, now living in dangerous times. And then he went on to say that the countries are taking, quote, uh, unpredicted decisions with unpredictable consequences and a profound risk of miscalculation. This from the United Nations. Now, Take a look at uh, Tehran. These are pictures from Tehran in the last 48 hours. I just wanted to say uh, RT stating how the United Nations are like, how could you do this? This is completely, you don't know how this is going to work out. Why would you take the risk? How do you know he doesn't know how it works out? How do you know we haven't seen what's to come? How do you know we don't know? They're showing pictures of Iran with millions mourning, huh? 
but it's actually many, 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 many more millions rejoicing in freedom. This could be those rejoicing and not really mourning. It is a veritable sea of humanity. Millions and millions of people stretching several miles have turned out to pray and mourn the loss of a man they seem to have revered. That man is Qasem Soleimani, whose assassination the Trump administration has publicly taken credit for. Now, for its part, Iran announced today that it's finally pulling out of the 2015 nuclear deal it signed with the United States, the one that Mr. Trump decided to renege on almost immediately after getting into office. Countries around the world, including most of Europe, have tried to placate Iran to tell them to please stay in. And it seemed for a while to be working, interestingly enough, until now. Tonight, there is another major repercussion from the U.S. assassination of Iran's top commander, neighboring Iraq. A country that, by the way, used to be Iran's mortal enemy, mortal enemy, is picking sides in this brewing war between the United States and Iran. And the side that it has picked appears to be Iran. Iran. In fact, today, the Iraqi parliament approved a resolution to expel 5,000 U.S. troops from Iraq. They're saying, we want you out of here. Now, here's what's really weird about this story, okay? You ready? Upon hearing of this, President Trump tweeted out that U.S. troops would not leave. He said, we're not leaving Iraq. Sorry. Even if you want us to go, I don't care. We're not leaving unless you, Iraq, pay us back for all the military bases that we installed there. But just a couple of hours ago, we heard from U.S. military commanders in Iraq, who it appears did not read the president's tweet or maybe didn't care. They announced... Again, just a couple of hours ago, just the opposite of what the president tweeted. Quote, this is from the U.S. military commander in Iraq. He says, we respect your decision to order our departure and will be repositioning forces over the course of the coming days and weeks to prepare for onward movement. That's military jargon for, okay, we get the message. You don't want us, we're going to get out of here. In the next days or weeks, he says. In other words, after costs of $9 trillion, let me say that again, $9 trillion over several decades in Iraq, the U.S. seems poised to turn the country over to Iran, which is, by the way, exactly what really smart people warned would happen if we invaded Iraq almost 30 years ago in 1991. This is the news with Rick Sanchez, where we believe it's time to do news again. Huh. It's time to do news again. That's it. Where are the news? What are we seeing the news tell us? And here's the thing. The news is what our president tells us. He has been retweeting Lindsey Graham like no other. Lindsey Graham, who has vested interest in Iran in the blind spot. Lindsey Graham, who has vested interest in the Ukraine, which means what? That he is now picking a side? Is he, though? Or is he that person that, you know, quasi (laughs) picks a side? This is something that, you know, we have to kind of let percolate for a little bit. 40 years of Iranian aggression, says Lindsey Graham, needs to be dealt with forcefully. 
In other words, since 1980, they've been aggressive. It's actually the 70s when we started this whole thing, but it was in the 80s when we implemented everything in regards to the Iran-Contra. It's been closer to 50 years than anything. They are indeed, like he says, the largest state sponsor of terrorism because, you see, the only way to really manipulate human beings into doing what you want is through fear and intimidation. So if your leadership doesn't want to intimidate you or force you to follow them through fear, like in an iron fist, like China, they will create a boogeyman to tell you that we all have to unite to fight this one boogeyman. That's how you do it. Right. And so you're in fear, but it's not because of them, even though it is because they're the ones that funded, but it's because of them. Lindsey Graham also said that they threatened the existence of Israel by arming Hezbollah to the teeth. Is it just Hezbollah? It's the Houthis, Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab. They're all one in the same Taliban, everything. So what is he saying? Ah, he mentioned dismembering Syria and Yemen. Huh? Just Yemen, Oman. What about that? What, what, let's talk Beirut. Let's talk Benghazi. Come on. These are all the things that have happened. And now Speaker Pelosi thinking of pushing a resolution, you know, about war powers. That tells you everything you need to know. Just how big this war is with them. Just how scared they are of what is to come. The last thing that America needs, he says, is 535 commanders in chief. 535 people you probably didn't even elect because they've been rigging elections for a very, very long time. The death of Haji Qasem was something that you can blame him for, right? And Lindsey Graham puts it, but calls him general. Mm, that's all I have to say. Mm. Look at where we are. We have literally backed them into a corner. They have no way out. We've got them from their financials. We've got them from their military strategies. We've got them from their terroristic attempts. I'll see you all right after this break. Real news. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. So let's talk a little bit more about Iran. And then at the end of this hour, I want to kind of just run back to this whole whistleblower, Diane Feinstein, Daniel Jones, Adam Schiff scenario. Uh, before we get into it, like I've said, it was very important that we pay attention to what the president is telling us. And it is very important to what he retweets, but also that we should listen and watch Secretary of State Pompeo too. Oh, and on that note, where's Gina Haspel, you guys? <laughs> you know, now that Michael Atkinson's is under official investigation, you know, the IG of the IC, you know, obviously we have the IG, uh, IG of the NSA and IG of the DOJ also under investigation, but I digress. I just thought I'd mention that. Now let's take a listen to retweet of a conversation between um, Judge Pirro and uh, Mark Meadows. Take a listen to this. 
Welcome back to Justice. Joining me now with more insight on the situation in the Middle East, the president's tweets tonight and more is Republican Congressman Mark Meadows. Uh, Congressman, thanks for being uh, with us tonight on Justice and Happy New Year to you, uh, which I neglected to say to everybody. uh, But the news was so serious. But I want to start with these tweets. So the president tweets tonight. And according to NSA uh, 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 National Security Advisor O'Brien, he said it was based on intelligence that they were getting that uh, Rouhani and the whole lot of them were threatening and allies. He says, and this is what I think is a stitch. He said, let this serve as a warning that if Iran strikes Americans or American assets, we have targeted 52 Iranian sites representing the 52 American hostages taken uh, in, by Iran many years ago, some at a very high level important to Iran and the Iranian culture. I mean, the president is ready to go. And what do you think Iran's response to this is going to be? Well, they better take it serious. I can tell you, Judge, one of the interesting things, this is not just a tweet. Everybody was talking about the president, and he made a decisive action, an action that should have been taken. We've now taken out two of the top terrorist uh, manipulators and generals uh, in the last three months, in about three months, and, and it's because this president has been willing to take the action. But here's the interesting thing is, when we took out this general, we had already identified these targets. This is not just a tweet. Everybody's talking about retaliation and we should be vigilant. We should be cautious. But the risk of of not doing things is certainly uh, greater uh, than the risk of taking this action that the president uh, so rightly took just a few days ago. And so I, I can tell you that that who should be worried about this is the Iranians. Uh, mm-hmm. The Iranian government, this is not about a regime change, but yep. if you talk about double-digit unemployment, their economy is imploding, here's what we do know. We will strike back, and we will strike back appropriately, and we can do it without putting boots on the ground in their country. Well, you know what's interesting? There, we may, and, you know, Donald Trump, I mean, what, what he has withstood in terms of impeachment, uh, uh, I'll talk about in, in a few minutes with you, but but Donald Trump, by uh, his efforts at diplomacy and then the economic sanctions and now taking out Soleimani, uh, there may be a regime change from within because of the collapse of the regime, because of the civil unrest in, in Iran, because they know that the $150 billion in assets that they got from America was being used to proxy uh, and, and for uh, um, uh, uh, terrorism all over the world. I mean, you know, th- I have to imagine that this, this regime is a little frightened itself, and it can't go toe-to-toe with us, can it, militarily? No, it, it can't go toe-to-toe with us. Uh, you know, we spend, if you include intelligence and military, we spend twice as much every year as their entire economy. And so I, I'll put our military up against anybody anywhere in the world. But more importantly, as we look at this this particular aspect of, of addressing Iran, the president has done more to address Iran in his first three years than the two previous presidents combined. And so when we start to look at what happens, the Iranians understand one thing. They understand power and they un- understand resolve. And they got a message, a double dose of uh, with both of those messages just recently. And, you know, the Iranian people, I mean, the Iranian people are good people. 
Uh, oh, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, 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 you know, they, the civil unrest there is incredible. I mean, you know, this Soleimani and all, all the stuff that he was doing is one thing, but the, the, the people themselves uh, are good people. But now i got to go to impeachment because I, I can't okay. deal with this. Okay, so Nancy, and I find out from Congressman uh, McCarthy, minority leader, that she went to court to try to add another count of impeachment without even getting a vote in the Senate. Talk about lawless. Yeah, well, what she's trying to do is actually convince the judges that she needs to be able to go on another fishing expedition. I don't see additional articles coming. What she's trying to do is say, listen, we don't have enough evidence. We should be able to get the grand jury material. We should be able to subpoena Don McGahn and have him come in because we might be able to put that in an article of, of impeachment. Listen, this is all about Nancy Pelosi uh, saying she had a constitutional duty to remove the president of the United States and then hold on, put on fast stop and said, I'm only going to do half of my constitutional duty and not send the rest of the Senate. It doesn't work that way. I think everybody sees it for what it is, a political stunt. No, here's what happened. They didn't expect the president to do what he had to do. They thought, oh, yeah, you know, emails, no big deal. DNC server will just make up and indict 13 Russians like Mueller did and send that indictment to a division that can't even prosecute. All rubbish. Oh, Ukraine? Well, we'll cover that up. We'll shut you up real quick. We'll tie you in a bow. Uh, But there are so many people out there, so many people out there working for good. And, you know, I have to just have a parenthesis here. Everyone's really, really upset with this new, you know, announcement that uh, General Flynn, that they're requesting that um, prosecutors are asking for jail time of six months. It's fine, you guys. There's nothing for the president to pardon him for. He didn't do anything. He did nothing wrong. Have faith. His case blows them away. The prosecutors asking for this. Listen to this. We've got prosecutors asking for six months because he lied to the FBI where the FBI had him admit to things that weren't true. Manufactured 302s used against him and they want him to be held accountable for not being able to do anything but say whatever. It's not like you're going to, it's my word against your stupid 302 that's fake. How are you going to dispute that? If someone comes to your face and says, well, I've got testimony from the FBI saying you said this. And you're like, but it's not true. Uh Uh-huh. Well, let's see what the judge says. Why would he doubt what we put down? We're in charge. You either plea or we'll ask for like a thousand years. What do you do in that position? What does your lawyer tell you in that position? Just do it because they will take it. Because how are you going to, how are you going to prove that they're lying? You can't because they're lying and they control those that oversee their lies. So there is nothing for him to do. Think the prosecutor is digging her, that U.S. attorney, her own grave. Let it be. Have faith. Stop being so upset. The best fighters are hit with the hardest of blows. I can tell you that from experience. Things happen all at once, too. They will maim you. They will make you feel shame for things you haven't even done. 
because that is how they work. Have faith, pray for General Flynn. He is a good person. And remember his first speech, right? When he put Iran on notice, that was when the manufactured 302s were like, we're going to tie this guy in a box and let him try to get out. Stop it. Just stop thinking that we're losing because we're not. We are totally winning. And the more you lack faith, the more you give them power to proceed. You have to have faith that things are going to happen. Have faith. That's what counts to have faith. Now, listen to what Rand Paul, which I like. I, I, had, I like him sometimes. <laughs> but that's the beauty of it. I like people that I don't always agree with. Because um, he doesn't have like agendas, which is so awesome. Listen to what he says. And I'm going to tell you the headline that Fox News had while he was talking. Trump admin defends Soleimani killing. Why would the president of the United States and our administration have to defend taking out such a huge component to this well-oiled global machine of a dictator, of a very corrupt individual, and I might say, point man for their money laundering operations? Take a listen to what he has to say. Trump administration a bit earlier today insisting the strike helped protect American lives overseas. The intel that we had, uh, the information we had, which we believe was very strong, uh, uh, showed that Soleimani and, uh, and those he was plotting with were, were looking to uh, kill American diplomats and soldiers in, in significant numbers in the coming days. And that's why the president authorized the successful operation that uh, was undertaken by the U.S. military. So that is O'Brien first, then comes Rand Paul. I like O'Brien. He's very blank and he's very well trained in controlling his micro expressions when speaking. Um, That's kind of scary in a way because you can't read him. But um, I trust I have faith that um, him being by the president's side is perfect only because he shows outmost respect for the president. So our next guest calls it a bad decision. Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. Good morning, sir, and welcome back here. Um, if what Robert O'Brien just said is true, how can you afford not to act? I think the thing is you have to ask yourself and ask um, the general question, are attacks more or less likely now that Suleimani is gone? The person who has replaced him has been his assistant general for 22 years, is a hardliner, and now the whole country of Iran is consumed with revenge. So I think the, if you're asking yourself, will there be attacks on America, I think there's much more likely to be attacks now that with his death. But you also have to ask, if, if, if anybody thinks that there's a possibility that diplomacy would work, how it's going to work when you kill the major general of another country. So I think what we've done is we've taken diplomacy off the table, and the only possibility now is military escalation. Let me it's just, unknown um, how much military yeah. escalation, but I think there will be an escalation. On that point, I think last night you called it the death of diplomacy, if I've got your quote right. Uh, was there much diplomacy to begin with, Senator? Well, there was with the Iran agreement. The Iran agreement wasn't perfect, and I was a critic of the Iran agreement. However, I think it was a big mistake to pull out of the Iran agreement. We should have tried to build upon the Iran agreement. We did that, but then we placed an embargo where Iran wasn't allowed to sell any goods internationally, including their main export of oil. 
an act of an embargo is like an act of war. And then to top that off, we've now killed one of their major generals. I think it is the death of diplomacy, and I see no way to get it back started again until sort of the, the revenge of the Iranian people is somehow sated. And I, I, I hate this. I hate that this is where we're going. I've been someone who has been for engagement, but there was much less killing, there was much less violence after the Iran agreement. In fact, there was a lull in a period in which I think we were headed towards a much more stable uh, situation with Iran, and now I think it's gone, and I think it may be gone for a lifetime. Senator- you know what I like about Senator Rand Paul, even though he's completely wrong, you realize that he's out of the loop on both sides, right? He's not in the in the group that knows exactly what's going on in Iran uh, from you know an intelligence perspective and a strategy perspective, and doesn't. Cons- I, I don't think he fully appreciates the fact that Iran has two sides because, like I said, Iran is done. It's done. The Iranians are on board, the president of Iran on board, it's Ayatollah, IRGC, and the rest of the conglomerate, Turkey, Qatar, that we have to focus on, the Muslim Brotherhood, that center of power, that is what we have to focus on. And you can see clearly, he's very sincere when he says these things, but he lacks that knowledge only because they fear people like him from both sides, from the sides of the good guys and the bad guys they fear because they're just like, he'll just, you know, do his own thing anyway. So this is why I like him. Even though he's wrong, he speaks from the position of many people that I see on Twitter, right? Where they're frustrated and they don't understand both sides of it, you know? everyone's always going to be late to the, but there's going to be the people that are late to the party. Like today, someone like, uh, sent me a tweet of Bill Mitchell and it's like, Oh, so Strzok was raised in Iran. No, duh. That's like two years old, man. Like catch up. And it's not, Oh yeah, I knew it's because people, the news was there. The news is there. It's just people refuse to, 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 to embrace it, kind of like Rand Paul. The news is out there, but he focuses on his sources. He's a scientist, remember? So he focuses on methods and ways that, that he feels safe in. And his safety is what he gets. Show me the paperwork. Show me this. And if no one's showing him anything, he just has to conclude with what he has. So him saying, I think it was a mistake. Yeah, because he only sees the picture that they're depicting to the world, not the actual. See, if you have access to intelligence file and um, uh, through one report with Millie Weaver, where she talked about um, uh the NRO, there was a document that says act- the, the actual and the perceived uh, structure of government, okay? Because that's the fact. You don't know how things operate and how they happen. What's on paper is not exactly what happens. And we see that. We saw documents, reports, tweets showing us that we were headed to nuclear war with North Korea and yet... We saw a smiling Kim Jong-un. We saw a free Kim Jong-un that could travel for the first time. That's what we saw. And remember, his brother was also killed, right, during that time, which is no matter what, even if you are uh, far apart from your sibling, don't have good connections, probably even hate each other, you still feel that pain of a sibling loss. And yet in that, he found joy of freedom. I'm just pointing that out. What 
is perceived is not necessarily what's really happening. And uh, hopefully with faith, you can see what's really happening. These little clues that are being given to you, uh, you know, across the board. Listen to what Pompeo has to say about U.S. and Iran relations. But what I want you to keep in mind is that, you know, when he made this speech about an hour and a half ago, News was breaking that embassies and consulates around the world for Iraq were holding mourning or vigils for Haji Qasem, which I refuse to call a general. Okay, Haji Qasem. That is how people that worked with him knew him. Okay, and that is how he wanted to be seen as an average Joe because he was an average Joe propelled to the top because morals were malleable for him. Mm? You know, you sell your soul to the devil kind of thing. Now, I want you to listen to what Mike Pompeo has to tell you. And here is where you're going to see the difference between perceived and actual. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, Happy New Year. Been out here in the New Year yet. I want to just take a, a, a moment to uh, uh, send out my personal condolences to former Congressman Mike Fitzpatrick. He was a friend of mine who I served alongside. He passed away uh, early this week, leaving uh, a lovely wife and, and a family. I want to express my condolences to him. His, his service to America was noble as a member of Congress. We worked together on pro-life issues uh, during my time in Congress. Mm-hmm. Now, lots of you have questions about the Middle East and Iraq. I'll certainly take some questions today. But first, too, I want to offer my condolences to the people of Australia. Uh, for the tragic loss of life and property caused by the devastating wildfires across that region. America's thoughts and prayers are with the victims, their families, and the emergency service personnel putting themselves in harm's way. And the same goes, too, for the dozens of U.S. firefighting personnel who are standing side-by-side with our Australian friends fighting the flames together. As I said, when I was in Sydney just this past summer, we have a truly unbreakable alliance. They are great friends, uh, and we're happy to be able to help the Aussies in this time of need. Staying in Asia, uh, we noted the appointment of Liu Huaining as the new head of the Hong Kong Chinese Central Government Liaison Office. He's expressed hopes that Hong Kong will return to the, quote, right path, end of quote. Uh, The right path, as I've said before, is for the Chinese Communist Party to honor its commitments made to Hong Kong in the Sino-British Joint Declaration filed at the United Nations, a commitment that guarantees the territory's independent rule of law and freedoms that the Chinese living on the mainland, unfortunately, do not enjoy. The United States will continue to work with Hong Kong and the Chinese Communist Party officials to protect human rights and fundamental freedoms in Hong Kong and to promote Hong Kong's high degree of autonomy. In Afghanistan, uh, there's an aspect of that conflict that deserves more attention, and that is the Islamic Republic of Iran's involvement there. Iran has refused to join the regional and international consensus for peace and is, in fact, today, actively working to undermine the peace process by continuing its long global efforts to support militant groups there. Okay, let's stop right there just for a second. Afghanistan. So he's working back from Asia. Afghanistan. Iran is involved in Afghanistan. He's telling you this. Who's in Afghanistan? The Taliban. Where did the Taliban have or want headquarters? Qatar. I'm just trying to backtrack you through the map from the east to the Middle East. So this is what he's telling you. So when have you ever seen Iran present in Afghanistan? When have you ever heard that? You haven't. 
You haven't. You could say they work together, but you would always, you were always, the perception that you had was that Iran was independent. Now you're seeing that Iran is being mixed with Yemen and Oman and Libya and Syria and Lebanon and now Afghanistan. So this is where you need to, you know, listen to what our leaders are telling us. They're telling you, that Iran, what you know, the Islamic Republic of Iran is separate from Persia, Iran. Okay. I want you guys to separate those two notions because they are separate. Most people know about Iran's proxy networks in the Arab world, but the regime also has a relationship with the Taliban and related groups such as the Khanis, the Tora Bora, and the uh, Mullah Dadullah group. The Taliban's entanglement in Iran's dirty work will only harm the Afghanistan peace process. A couple items here in the hemisphere. In Venezuela, I want to thank and congratulate Juan Guaido on his re-election as the president of Venezuela National Assembly, a legitimate re-election by a quorum of 100 deputies. The Maduro regime's campaign of arrests, intimidation, and bribery could not derail Venezuelan democracy, nor could its use of military forces to physically bar the National Assembly from accessing the Parliament building. I applaud how Venezuela's political parties came together to support Guaido's re-election. The United States will continue to support President Guaido and the Venezuelan people, and we will continue to rally all other freedom-loving nations across the globe to do that same thing. Now, even though he was working back, remember he said, now that we're in Asia, let's continue, let's continue, and then he skipped to South America, to Venezuela. And you'd be like, well, that's not continuing. It's not working as back to Iran. What's going on here? What's going on here is that he's telling you the connections. He's telling you the story, the actual story. He's telling you where the concerns are and how they link. Remember, Venezuela was smuggling gold and other precious items and minerals and through Africa to Iran to Turkey. Right. Remember when uh, in Africa they seized gold coming in from Venezuela headed to Turkey? I'm just saying. We support the Venezuelan people because we believe the Western Hemisphere should be a hemisphere with freedom everywhere. I also want to highlight the work of the OAS, which has been an instrumental tool in moving the region in that direction. It's an example of truly outstanding, effective multilateralism. Secretary General Luis Almagro is the leader we need for the OAS to continue proactively addressing the central challenges facing the region, promoting democracy, upholding human rights, advancing security, and fostering economic development throughout it. I have more to say about the OAS and the multilateral reform in the coming weeks. Uh, On the theme of basic freedoms, I want to commend members of Bahrain's Council of Representatives for their January 2nd statement in which they expressed deep concern over the inhumane and painful conditions to which Uyghur Muslims in China are subjected. Bahrain is recognizing what I've been saying for months. The Chinese Communist Party is committing mass human rights violations and abuses against Uyghurs, ethnic Kazakhs, Kyrgyz, and other Muslims held in detention in Xinjiang. We're happy with what Bahrain did, and we ask all countries, particularly those belonging to the Organization of Islamic Cooperation and the Arab League, to denounce the Chinese Communist Party's brutal treatment of Uyghurs, which is part of the party's broader war on faith. Ah, so now we go to the capital of Manama, right? Of Bahrain. Bahrain, the kingdom of Bahrain. You don't hear a lot about him, 
but they're real big movers and shakers. And now they're putting their foot down on the way innocent people are being held in Asia. Did you see how he hopped you across the map first? He said, let's stay to Asia. Then he took you to South America. Then he took you back to Asia. Now, uh, Middle East slash Asia. Now, I want to point something out. You remember how back in the day, Bush Sr. was like, oh, Saddam Hussein is totally linked with Al-Qaeda. And it was all BS. We all know that. But Bush, when he said that, right, did it for a purpose to demonstrate the interconnectivity so that way people would continue to believe. Because remember, Al-Qaeda was created by Osama bin Laden, right? So remember, Osama bin Laden was the source of Al-Qaeda, but it was what? The Taliban. We'll continue that right after the break. Welcome back, everyone. All right. So here's where we're going to hit the ground running. I've been a little bit low energy today only because there is so much going on uh, for me. Uh, But here's where the sauce comes in. Let me tell you something. We have been fighting taxpayer theft for the past three years uh, with the Trump administration. He has been tackling how they funnel our money, how they steal our money through fake um, shell companies, through blimps with cash. But I'm going to tell you something. Do you know how much money the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve sent out to Iraq during the war? How much money was confiscated from the Iraqi Central Bank? And how much money did the Federal Reserve send to Iraq during the war? Did it go to Iraq? If it, if, look at it this way. If they were able to steal our federal taxpayer dollars by sending it off to Iraq, imagine how much cash has been sent to Iran billions, right? On pallets, wire transfers, and all these back channels. So who actually counts this money? Like, is there a teller? Is there a spreadsheet? You know, what if this money goes out and comes in as, you know, funds, you know, you see all this money, these people are raising $23 million here, $25 million there, billion dollar homes, million dollar homes, You know, remember how Barack Hussein Obama and Hillary Clinton bought houses in Qatar? I'm just saying neighbors, neighbors in Qatar. Mm. And and everyone's like, oh, it's Saudi Arabia. Look at where they have homes. Look at where they travel. Look at who the real movers and shakers are. Who has access to all this money? These foundations, these institutes, these think tanks that everyone goes to. Hmm. There is no checks and balance. There are no checks and balances in place. There's nothing to safeguard anything. And that's the way it is. We're talking trillions, if not quadrillions of dollars at stake. 
controlled by very few people pretending to be pushing democracy. This is what the prize is. How do you get peace? How do you do it? How is it done? How? Think. So I just tweeted out, retweeted a thing where someone asks Alexa, you know, who is Hillary Clinton? I'm going to play it for you because it's actually quite funny. And it makes you wonder sometimes, right? Like what is really going on? Who hacked that? Who put it there? And how it like super just happened. It, it is pretty funny. So I want you that are listening right now through your headphones, don't have access to Twitter to just hear this because um, I found it super comical. Take a listen. Clinton? Hold on. Who is Hillary Clinton? Hillary Rodham Clinton is a failed American politician and notorious serial killer. While the exact death toll remains unknown, it is estimated to be close to 100. While her killing spree is common knowledge, our corrupt justice system refuses to prosecute her. Who is Hillary Clinton? Huh. Pretty interesting. I mean, this could be just, you know, something that you program for, um, you know, Alexa to tell you. Is it real? Nobody knows. But what I can tell you uh, up and about, that statement's pretty much correct. That's the way it is. Hillary Clinton speaking about fires, getting her tushy out in the public. But you have to think. Why are they so protective of her? Why is no one saying anything? Because it's the power of the purse. People that are in the highest positions in certain departments that can pretty much control everything. But what if, mm, this is where you have faith, we have certain people in crucial positions that can replace like dominoes right under who has the power to, to appoint Supreme Court justices, right? Think. How can you undo all the previous EOs and executive orders that Barack Hussein Obama created? Think. The bottom line here with Iran is that it's, pretty, it's a pretty big deal. Rouhani is trying to fight for freedom, but think. Ayatollah, president, how are they separate entities? Don't they hang out together? How is one flipping on the other? Do you know why? Because they've got a list of names. What if we already have those names and we're just pretending we're waiting to get them? Because we have them all and he told you when he got them all. It was just about that time before the internet was taken down in Iran, wasn't it? Where the president said, we got them all, all of them. This is how panicked they are because they believe that they still have power and they believe that if they keep undermining us, that those that are in positions around the world now in hiding, now scared to death, that everything's about to come to the surface. That still, even in their minds, have faith that their evil one will protect them, even though they knew this day would possibly come. Because it always does at some point. 
The day always comes. Now, I want to speak about Diane Feinstein, and you're going to be like, well, then why are we talking about other things like, um, I don't know, rigging uh, the elections for the DNC? I want to just um, play a clip from Millie Weaver put actually a, um, a video talking about what the Russia hoax really covered up. And you'll see where I'm going with Diane Feinstein with this, just so that you understand it. So I'm going to start it off um, over here. Let me just start it from the beginning. Take a listen. Being remotely controlled and hacked? Well, let's take a closer look. But this time, let's actually see what the conversation was, who it was with, to see what the hacker seems to be so interested in. What would anyone care about what Tori and I are communicating about in private conversations? To go so far as to hack my phone? Why did they come to me now, three years later? I think I was pretty vocal. I heard the audio the day Seth Rich died. I repeat, I heard it. Why you come to me now? Three years later, why? Oh, it's because of the election fraud. It's because I told the world what you didn't want them to know. Oh, that. Well, that certainly explains why Tory received a subpoena in regards to a certain murdered DNC staffer. The DNC server debacle was never about Hillary or Podesta's emails, though those emails definitely revealed corruption and evil within the Democrat Party leadership at the time. The media's hyper focus on the emails actually serves as cover. And remember, they released those emails. It was done through DCLeaks.com, not WikiLeaks. This is why Assange's brain is turning into jello, even though they had him trapped like a rat in an embassy for so long. He still survived, but now they had full control. And here's where it gets really nitty gritty. Take a listen to this. Hillary is going to have a huge edge when it comes to superdelegates. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. March 1st is Super Tuesday. At the end of the day, you will see that Hillary has the most delegates of regular people from caucuses like Iowa, from New Hampshire primaries, uh, Nevada, South Carolina, and then all those states on March 1st. So it wasn't a surprise that on Super Tuesday of 2016, Hillary Clinton won the Democrat primary. Big, big delegate day for Hillary Clinton. 449 delegates so far, still counting to just 273 for Bernie Sanders. So if you look overall, she is starting to build up a serious lead over Bernie Sanders. It'll be very hard. Has a bigger lead right now than Barack Obama had. However, this is where the DNC insider who leaked the mirrored copy of the DNC server comes into play. Allegedly, this DNC staffer knew that the DNC had stolen the primary from Sanders and might have been upset. We have won, at this point, 45% of pledge delegates, but we have only earned 7% of super delegates. So in other words, the way the system works is you have establishment candidates who win virtually all of the superdelegates, it makes it hard for insurgent candidacies like ours to win. Ah, 
Remember when Bernie came out with that and then all that stuff about his wife was coming out that no one talked about when the university was shut down, how they were in so much trouble, but they let it go because he conceded. He spoke about establishment. You know, he's a commie. Period. He's a communist. There's like videos of him, Tom was in Russia, enjoying the communist lifestyle. Ha. So think establishment. What does that mean? Establishment. Oh, you mean the global cabal that comes together. Here's Debbie Washerman's salts that she played. Take a listen. Hey, what's not to be upset about the realization that your elections are rigged? At the helm of this alleged primary election meddling was none other than former DNC chairman Debbie Washerman Schultz. I I mean, Bernie Sanders is wrong because we have had these rules in place since 1984 and we have two types of delegates. We have the delegates that are pledged, that are elected by voters or that represent voters based on the outcome. And then we have party leaders and other elected officials who have been in the trenches for a long time and who have a role, appropriately so, in choosing our party's nominee. And it's important to note that the unpledged delegates or super delegates have never played a role in actually selecting our party's nominee. Who resigned from her position after WikiLeaks began publishing what a DNC staffer had allegedly leaked to them? The chair of the DNC, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, has announced her resignation. It comes after those leaked DNC emails. Bernie Sanders supporters say the emails prove the party favored Hillary Clinton all along. Allegedly, it was in March that a DNC staffer started mirroring a copy of the DNC. It was actually a two-month period that covered March 2, because that's when they discovered. But it wasn't just the DNC server, guys. It was the RNC, too. Because if it happens in the DNC server, it happens in the RNC server, right? The the, the information, I mean, not server. If it happens in the DNC, it happens in the RNC. And we see it. We can see it. Obviously, the RNC has changed now. But we see it. They have their rules in place, right? Their rules in place is where they chit-chat and crosstalk. They're one in the same. It is now under the Trump administration that we are seeing a rift in the Republican Party where it's pro-people and pro-establishment. We can see it. And remember when I told you there were seven senators, now they're 15. 15 pro-establishment senators that are Republicans. 15. And that doesn't even count for Bernie Sanders. Uh, Bernie Sanders. Oh, my gosh. He's on my mind. Lindsey Graham. Hmm. So it doesn't even account for Lindsey Graham. Okay. So that would make it 16. Because Lindsey Graham's kind of like, oh, don't let me go to jail and I'll help. That's basically what's going on here. We all know it. That's the way it works. So what happened was all these servers were imaged. They discovered they were imaged. They wanted to find out how they were imaged. So the timeline is, is that first Perkins Coie, who was the uh, law firm that oversaw the Obama administration, was White House counsel, was also uh, the um, law firm for the DNC, Obama for America, Hillary for America, hired Fusion GPS. That's the first thing they did was hire Fusion GPS so they can start Think 
tanking a narrative saying, all right, we're going to blame it on Russia. And then we got to find a way to tie it to Trump. We're going to allow some of our emails to be leaked. We'll set up a site making it Russian. We're going to leak a lot of hours. And then there'll be a few of the RNC. And then we'll say that, look, the Russians did it. That's why they only leaked the DNC emails. You could go to DCLeaks.com and you'll see a banner that says, this was like a front for the Russians, you know, trying to meddle in the election. All BS. They created it. Let's find out who created DCLeaks.com. Guarantee you it tracks back to Fusion GPS. Hurricane Electric. Hmm. And you're like, how do they come up with Crossfire Hurricane? Crossfire Hurricane, because Hurricane Electric are the servers they used. Hurricane Electric. It's not rocket science how they put it together. It's their code. And they always leave ways on how to go. Mid-year exam. Very, very telling. Very telling. Investigation that started in 214, which is what? Mid-year. Mid-year exam was reviewing Hillary Clinton's emails. The DNC server never handed off to the FBI. I wonder if they handed off the RNC one, though. That's a good question. Does the FBI have the mirrored image of the RNC handed over to them by Fusion GPS by accident? So after Fusion GPS gets in and says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to determine who did it and we'll figure it out. But now we need to create this narrative of a hacker. So let's talk about hacking. How are we going to tie it back to Trump? Let's start doing this. Well, we do know that we already started trying to get spies in. So we got some over there from this month where we had these meetings because they found out that their server was imaged in March. Okay. In March, because the work was done two months beforehand. So think, when did they first approach people with plants, with assets that they had around the world? And you're going to be like, well, Tori, what does Diane Feinstein have to do with it? Well, remember Diane Feinstein's right-hand man was Daniel J. Jones, the one that authored the whistleblower report. I don't care what anyone says. He helped put that together with Adam Schiff because they had dinner together. Well, they, it wasn't dinner. It was like late lunch, you want to say, you know, where they met together and talked in April because Diane Feinstein made that connection in 2018 where they decided, here's how we're going to do it. Plot twist. See, what if we already saw that? And for us, this is just reliving history. We already knew what was coming for that section, and we were just reliving history. The booby traps were already there. We already knew. Remember, Julian Assange, when he was taken away to go to jail, held up a book and said, illusion. Everything is an illusion. He didn't drop anything of what he had. And the people within him, he couldn't even trust. You know, McFadden died right? He's the one that got some of the hard copy drives. He died. Seth Rich died. And so many other unknown people died and no one is looking into it. Like Alexa said, the body count is high, but can you just credit it to that one crazy person? That's the thing. And here's where she kind of talks about, um, Millie Weaver went into the Trump tower, uh, conversation, how, uh, they set up Donald Trump Jr. and Manafort with this Russian lawyer in June only to solidify their Russia collusion narrative. The Russia hoax was to cover up their crimes. And then the Daily Beast, 
One of the largest proponents of pushing this Russian hack had an article report. Russian hackers had RNC data but didn't release it. (laughs) Maybe we should look into the finances of the people at the Daily Beast. Maybe we should look at who finances them. Very interesting. It's extremely interesting. And here is where it goes to WikiLeaks and what he had to say. Take a listen. FOIA requests regarding Uranium One. Thus, the midterm exams code for the FBI reopening the investigation into the DNC server leak was really about starting a cover-up to hide what was potentially going to come out if the mirror DNC server was leaked. And Hillary's emails became code for election meddling software, memorandums of understanding, and commitments with other nations, collusion, bribes, and other nefarious activities such as folders labeled insurance. Anthony Weiner's computer, anyone? DC leaks, which was created to push the narrative that Russia hacked the DNC server to benefit Trump, is where the selective DNC leaks began, not WikiLeaks. We can say, um, we have said uh, repeatedly uh, over the last two months uh, that our source uh, is not the Russian government uh, and it is not a state party. Around this time, Julian Assange knew that he and WikiLeaks were in danger. Assange had the election meddling software, memorandums of understanding, and commitments with other nations, collusion, bribes, and other nefarious activity that came off the mirrored DNC server. Fourth, between these. And here's what Bill Barr had to say about it, where he's pointing out DNC emails, DNC server hack, not the same thing. Look at what they're covering up, you guys, because we have everything we need. Two false stories is a smokescreen distracting away from something much more serious. The blogosphere was full of stories and political circles in Washington uh, were full of stories and, and speculation that the Russians had in 2014, two years before, hacked into her secret server and were therefore in a position to drop this stuff during the election. But that related to Hillary's server. So the FBI, what the FBI did is later, after the DC, uh, the, the, the DNC hack and the dumping through Wikipedia, uh, Wikipedia in July. WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks, yeah. By mixing up the Russians hacking Hillary Clinton's server in 2014 with the DNC leak of 2016, a perfect cover story and false counter narrative is born. Hell breaks loose. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. The false narrative is born because this is how they confuse you. They bring things that are similar. Remember, I told you things are just names sometimes, misspellings, redoing words, you know, um, going by your middle name rather than your first name, little subtle switcheroos. And this is what they've been doing to obfuscate what Hillary's email server that was hacked was still connected. So all the emails that she had and all the emails going through, look at it. The ones that you saw on WikiLeaks, right? What were they? They were from her server. They weren't from the DNC server because you didn't see random other emails sent to people that weren't connected to Hillary Clinton or sent to her. Look at the look at the facts. That's what you need to look at. Have you seen an email in there under Hillary Clinton or Podesta email where they weren't connected or CC'd or Huma was, which was her assistant? No.
got to thank Anthony Weiner for giving us the crumbs to be able to decipher what was on whatever fragmented pieces of the server actually made it to legit FBI agents. Again, what I had were fractions of the imaging fractions, terabytes, fractions. You know, I sent it off. How do I know it wasn't intercepted? I don't. Because when I sent it off, it was then sent off and then sent off and then sent off until it arrived. That's how it goes. I don't. Because that's the one thing you don't want people thinking is that you have it. This is why I always say, the minute I find something, I get rid of it. I don't know where it is. I'll destroy it. I have nothing. I've given it up to the authorities. That's where it needs to be. And so this is where it gets a little bit nuts. Suddenly we hear that a wand case is being tried in secret, under seal. People are scattering like crazy. We have their Ukrainian honeypot on fire. Iran, it's like lifting the veil. And now they're like, oh no, they're going to have the names of everyone from the UN to the EU. What if we actually find out the names of those that run the European Council? You know, the nameless, faceless, no name on door people that make the decisions for the whole EU. You know, the European Council that has a headquarters in Kazakhstan. Okay. I didn't know Kazakhstan was part of Europe. Why do they have an annual European Council meeting in Kazakhstan? You know, the one that creepily looks like a mishmash of Egypt and, and Washington, D.C. and stuff. I mean, with gold and weird things and statues. and But that's the center of the EU Council. And you're thinking, what? How's that possible? Like, why would you hold a meeting? Kind of like the Taliban. If you're a political party in Afghanistan, why do you want your headquarters in Qatar? Qatar. Qatar, right? Maybe Bahrain will be able to shed some light. That's the key. And maybe Bahrain will be able to shed some light on Diane Feinstein's driver, who, from what I hear from sources, was working at a consulate in the Middle East at some point before he became her driver about 20 somewhat years ago. You know, with all this whole Iraq debacle, Middle East debacle. Just saying, the future is bright as long as you have faith because so many timelines are popping out and spinning out because they are in panic. And the thing about people in panic mode is that they are unpredictable. And when you have nefarious people that have control, that have the ability to yield some power, and they're in panic and unpredictable, that's scary. So the only thing you have to have faith in is that we already know their moves and the counter moves are already in place um, go to YouTube to Millennial Millie to see the full report on what the Russia hoax really covered up God bless I'll see you tomorrow